this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. When the prompt came in, I I mean, we have kind of a running joke in my family, especially with my husband, where he's like, you don't know any movies, you know, no pop culture. Like, he's shocked, mm-hmm. like, but now knows to just assume I have whatever movie it is, I haven't seen it. Okay. And I won't get the reference. And I think that was because I really grew up, I grew up with my grandparents for a mm. lot of my life. and. Okay we had like PBS. There was not a lot of TV yes. time there. And there was a lot of uh, Christian music. And, mm-hmm. and so I just kind of missed like a big chunk. So mm-hmm. when I, I, I'm a little insecure sometimes talking about yeah. pop culture, movies and films. Um, however, when I got the prompt, I thought back to kind of this moment that I really remember distinctly from elementary school I think I was in a classroom situation and I was asked by a teacher, mm-hmm. what's your favorite movie? And I was probably like eight or nine. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I have two favorite movies. One is Sleeping with the Enemy and one is The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. <laughs> and looking back at that moment, I'm like, wow, that's really funny. I was so young. <laughs> Welcome back to Open Forum. I'm Michael Denzel Smith. Laura Burney has been married for three years to a man who has all the classic markers of success. And that man has physically, emotionally, and sexually abused her for the duration of their marriage. But she's been planning her escape. And at an opportune moment, she's able to fake her own death and get away from it all. She tries to start a new life with a new identity in Iowa. However, her abusive husband puts the pieces together about her false demise and tracks her down to continue his abusive reign. This week's film is Sleeping with the Enemy, and it was chosen by Chelsea Beaker, author of the novel Godshot and the recently released story collection Heartbroke. When I had lived with my parents, there was really no censoring. Like, I just watched whatever they watched, and that included very adult (laughs) movies. And I think the long-winded answer to why I picked Sleeping with the Enemy for today is because a lot of my work now is is concerned with domestic violence. And this was really the first time I think I saw domestic violence portrayed as sort of the center of the narrative like this. And it was really impactful for me. Um, I grew up around a lot of domestic violence. It was just the norm. And so this was like the first time to see a woman like kind of pull this wild escape and it was so entrancing um re-watching it as an adult I see all these other layers that I probably missed mm. as a kid but I still felt that same like um like you're still rooting for her it's still this yeah. this narrative that I think is important so yeah that's why I absolutely. picked it yeah. yeah 
there's so much there and i would just want to start with the fact that like our upbringings were just so different my parents censored everything like i was <laughs> there was no way at eight or nine i would have been able to watch sleeping with the enemy like it was just yeah they they made sure uh my mom this is a complete uh aside but my mom uh didn't let me watch the simpsons when i was growing up and like as an adult i kind of understand and but when i asked her as an adult why she didn't let me watch the simpsons she was her first response was that woman had blue hair and what i realized (laughs) it's not even just content my parents were just like very buttoned up very conservative in their just approach to everything and even the things Mm -hmm. that they consumed and so it's like anything that just like veered too far from that path it was just like no we can't let that enter into our home you know um and that's completely (laughs) that's so funny not not germane to this conversation but you bring (laughs) up the, the you know talking about the film sleeping with the enemy uh I feel like I still don't really see too many depictions of domestic violence in quite this way, right? Uh, In that, like, the way that I I feel like it typically comes up or in things that I've consumed over the years is that there's some kind of either, like, reconciliation attempted there's some type of rescue of this woman by outsiders particularly men like that that there's and i think what's so distinct about sleeping with the enemy is she is her own hero yeah absolutely um i love i mean we can get into kind of the back half of the movie where (laughs) there were moments where i was like oh man you know because like Mm the the secondary guy does kind of swoop in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to me i thought i don't know how you what your read was on him but i was a little like he's a little red flaggy to me very like, he was very. very stalkery like i was kind of like wait a second like isn't she i don't know it, it's funny because now i'm reading the novel of mm. it i didn't even realize it was based on a novel yeah. i never knew that and I, I think it was 1987 or something uh, the novel by Nancy Price came mm-hmm. out and that novel of course in a novel there's there's so much more room to expand on things and have more mm-hmm. nuance but um it is interesting to see the differences even in just the first half of the book versus the movie and and I think things are like sped forward a lot mm-hmm. in the movie mm-hmm. of course and so a lot is missed but um yeah she just goes right from this crazy traumatic experience leaving her husband into this sort of I don't know I thought it was a little bit of a shady other relationship with this guy he he was not like you know when he confronts her about like having screamed out her name it's like he just shows up where she was working it's like okay I know it's like a college campus but like you didn't have to travel all the way across campus to the (laughs) library to like you know confront her about the fact that she didn't answer to the name that she had given you and then when they do finally hook up and she's like no, no. He takes a while before he stops. Yeah. Like, there are yeah. plenty of red flags about this guy. <laughs> I think it, I was thinking so much about how the movie would probably be different today. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's so funny because on the front of the novel, the little tagline says, a novel of pursuit. Mm-hmm. And I thought that language was interesting because to me it's like, pursuit, yes, like her 
abusive husband is pursuing her like yes. across the country. He's he's searching. I would say hunting is like a better word. But yes. pursuit can almost sound like neutral or a little bit romantic. Like I'm pursuing a relationship with you. Um, but I think in that time, which wasn't even that long ago and, and probably still today, it's just there has to be like a digestible component for people mm. in order to like take in that kind of content. And yeah. so I was curious about like a novel of pursuit, a movie of pursuit. I don't know. I didn't quite see it that way. No, I don't see it that way at all. And it's 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 exactly what you're saying because like pursuit, particularly in a cultural context where we think of pursuit as like something noble that a man does to a woman, right? Like he's pursuing her, he's courting her. Like these are things that are indicative of manhood in heterosexual relationships. It's just like, no, the woman like has something that the man wants and he is like honor bound to pursue it and get it by any means. And it's like, no, this isn't a movie about pursuing someone. This is about a movie about torturing and tormenting and then hunting someone down as a result of them escaping. Uh, and I think, you know, the Ben character, the, the, the guy that she meets, he's pursuing, but pursuing aggressively in this way that's like off putting. And it's like, no one is concerned at any juncture here about what Laura, Julia Roberts character actually wants. Everyone, all both of the men that are pursuing her, if we're to use that word, are only concerned about what they gain from this. Yeah. And she, I really got the sense in the movie too, especially in the back half, like she doesn't even get a chance to like take a deep breath. Mm. She doesn't even have a chance to like think about what she wants. And um, I think there is this underlying idea in the movie. I guess we should give a little bit of context for the listener. It's like we start out, you know, they live in this sort of isolated, beautiful Mm -hmm. Cape Cod house on the ocean and the whole thing is like she doesn't know how to swim she's afraid mm-hmm. of the water and he kind of forces her out on the water one night on um to sail with a neighbor and and he wants her to get over this fear and um you know he of course has these moments of like pretending to kind of champion her self-development mm-hmm. and really wanting the best for her and then um and then it turns but so we learn later like she's actually for quite some time been teaching herself learning at the YMCA mm-hmm. how to swim yeah. and there's that moment and it's really brief and I wish there was more of this in the movie where we see her kind of among all these other women it's almost the only scene and it's such a blip where she's positioned with no other men it's just mm-hmm. her and like all these women and they're cheering for her in the pool and we it's the first flash in the movie where we realize, oh, there's more here than we thought. Yeah. She's been concocting sort of a plan for a long time, yeah. um, which is such, to me, that's like the thrill of the movie is that sort of unfolding that we realize, mm-hmm. oh, okay, she's behind the scenes. She is doing something. And um, these other women are sort of holding that space for her and cheering for her to, to succeed. I kind of wish there was more of that, but it's there. It's there a little bit. Yeah, I think, you know, what you're pointing to is sort of where I was thinking. It's like there's there's such an 
individualized aspect to this where it's like it's this one woman's story and but there's these like brief moments of community that like are protective and things where it's like she is at the the ymca learning how to swim like but she's also we we realize later she's not telling them her story right like she's just learning how to swim and then when she's on the bus after she's escaped like this woman reaching out and giving her an apple and talking to her and like recognizing that she's not telling a story about a friend who has been abused it's it's her and she's very kind to her but it's like these moments don't last and so like what happens is it it becomes almost the story about like her own personal metal and perseverance and and preservation as opposed to the idea that like this is a community problem this is a social problem that like should require a community and social response Mm -hmm. you're so right so now that I'm thinking about it it's like almost all the scenes she really is alone or Mm -hmm. she's with one other man um there's not a lot of of that community piece, even when she ends up kind of in this university Mm -hmm. setting, which seems like, oh, see, in my head, I'm like, find a, I don't know, is there a support group there? And I think the book, the book does nod a bit more to the times in which the character tries to um, get help Mm -hmm. and and the ways that it's really hard to get help, which is absolutely true. And, and I think, in the book, it points to like, if she goes back, if she, if you go back to the abuser, like you lose all credibility mm-hmm. and, and returning to the abuser for, for whatever reason is so baked into the psychology of how this works mm-hmm. that I think so many people on the outside don't understand. I actually watched an interview with Julia Roberts from 1991, where she's 23. She was 23 in this, um, And the interviewer said, I can't imagine that I would have stayed in this relationship as long as Mm -hmm. this character does. Uh, I would think like I would just get out the first time it happened. And you could tell like Julia was kind of like, Mm -hmm. you know, her feathers came up a little bit, but she answered so gracefully. And she was like, well, it's a long process of manipulation. Mm -hmm. It's a long process of psychological warfare that leads up to the first moment, you know, in this story, the first time he hits her or is physical with her is on their honeymoon. So Mm -hmm. it's like, she's married. Like they've been together for a while. And and it's this shock that's so awful. And and yes, it's such a psychological process that is very nuanced. And we really want to make it simpler because we really want there to just be this answer. Well, of course you would leave. Mm-hmm. Well, of course you would. Why would you stay? Well, there's so many reasons you wouldn't leave. You know, she's not able to really work. Right. She, where is her money? You know, she's very crafty with how she figures out how to leave it when she, when she finally does. And, and it's, it's months and months of like hoarding money and mm-hmm. figuring out how to move her mother to like an undisclosed location, nursing home. Like these things take time. It's not like you can just walk out the door and mm-hmm. often, right. It's like, even if you did walk out the door, there's a good chance you won't be able to find the resources that you, that you need. I hope things are getting better, but yeah. um, I really empathize with with the woman yeah. who doesn't leave right away. I mean, that's Absolutely. probably the most common narrative. Absolutely. Everything in here as it should be? 
forgot. <laughs> well, we all forget things. That's what reminding is for. Thank you. It's so crucial what you're saying, because in the film, it's something that I missed the first time around, but like was just jumped out at me on my second watch. Um, the the level of that like psychological torment and control is in the it's in the very early scene they're talking about like going out to some event that night and uh, she's picking out a dress and he doesn't like the dress that she's going with and she's like oh you you think the red one and then he says i was thinking the black one and she's like oh well that's backless i might get a chill and the very next scene is them arriving to this party with her in that black dress and it's like I think what 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 escapes people in like thinking about domestic violence is the idea that it's just the physical violence that like oh if you just walk away from that because it happened it's you'll be fine but it's like no those seeds have been sown in, like so deeply that like there's there's so much controlling happening of every aspect of her life. She says, I'd like to go to work like a little more than what I, what I do now. And he's like, you already work three days a week. Like I already allow you to do that. Right. Like, and she's like, has your dinner ever been late? And he's like, well, I can remember a time. And it's like so much of the, like her sense of herself, her sense of self-worth, everything is wrapped up in this relationship. So how can you just extract yourself immediately? That's it, it seems like an impossibility to me. Yeah. And and we see that like her plan is the reason why the movie is so suspenseful is like, well, her plan could fail at any moment. Mm -hmm. Like there's just it's absolutely terrifying. And and there's so much there, you know. I just loved, I don't know. I felt like Julia Roberts' performance in this really brought some unspoken, you know, you don't get a lot of internal uh, explanation from her mm -hmm. in the movies. I think a lot is communicated in her expressions, her, yes. the way she's looking at him, at herself in the mirror, you know, later on the the way it shifts and I thought that was pretty expertly done I don't know how the movie did like critically what well, I could see was that it didn't do great I think it got some um negative reviews and and it's it's by no means like a perfect portrayal of of how this works and and all of that but but yeah I don't know I I did think about like what are the aspects here that that I would change now, or or what what do we expect from from women in these sort of stories? Yeah. I think there's also this really high expectation of like what she should be able to do and accomplish in mm -hmm. in this moment, which is actually a pretty impossible scenario in many ways. So you bring up the critical response, and it's something that I did want to talk about because. The movie made $100 million at the box office. It's like, you know, that's huge to, to be able to do. But currently on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 20% from critics, right? And this is of 35 reviews. And I went through and I looked. I didn't read every review, but I looked through. And I feel like there's, there's two things happening here that I can identify, right? It's 35 reviews. There's like three women who, who reviewed this movie. It's just a bunch of dudes. And then 
you know, there's that piece of it where these these men seem to be looking for like a thriller in the vein of thrillers that they understand, right? Like in whatever that looked like from especially sort of those 80s uh, thrillers and things like that. But then uh, there's also the the piece of it that feels like it's about Julia Roberts and uh, where she had been positioned and then what this movie looks like, right? So this is coming just off of Pretty Woman. Like Pretty Woman's the year before and she had done Mystic Pizza. She had done, uh, you know, Steel Magnolias. And she's like, this lovable rom-com, you know, like darling, all of that stuff. And I think this feels like for people a departure in that like the presentation of womanhood here is is so different from their like fawning over Julia Roberts. The end of this movie is her killing her abuser. And I think that there's just some there's something that probably critics could not get past around seeing their sweetheart, their darling, one being abused, the idea that she could be, that she wouldn't be strong enough, quote unquote, to walk away, but then also that she would be violent, right? And it's, there's some, some disconnect between the idea of Julia Roberts and what she had been presenting on screen before and like what this movie is jo- doing. Absolutely. That's such a good point. I thought a lot about how this came on the heels of Pretty Woman. Mm-hmm. It's huge success. And I think she got criticism for that movie too, in terms of portraying a prostitute and yeah. like what what does that mean and, and how do we square again like the idea of America's sweetheart with with mm-hmm. that idea. Uh, and yeah, in in the interviews that I was able to find she is asked a lot about like how could you have kind of I don't know what was it like to like mm-hmm. step into this crazy role and and how were you able to kind of uh, convey this sort of darkness and and also I, I noticed like interviews with the I'm blanking on the man's name the abuser's name now oh I don't <laughs> let me see if I can pull it um, we don't need his name. We don't need his name. Her He's husband. not important. <laughs> um, he's asked so much from what I could find again, limited uh, now, but he's asked a lot about like the psychology of his character and why his character mm-hmm. was acting out. Like there must be this explainable reason mm-hmm. um, for why this character was so upset. <laughs> And that is an interesting question. It's like, of course, there's nuance there too. It's like, well, what makes what sure. makes an abuser? Well, there's so much there. No one is just a villain. No, um, no one is just you know he became this way for from some something. We don't know what. We don't get that. We're not privy to his background in the story. Um, but in a way, it's like it, it's either that people wanted to see him as sort of this singular like right? Like thriller slasher guy. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a scary monster. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm singular. I'm not representing domestic violence. I'm representing just one man who's really got it out for this woman. And, Mm -hmm. um, and it's more in that thriller kind of movie vein, or it's like, we really need to figure out why he would have felt so threatened in those moments. Why did he lash out? And yeah, it's so interesting because, because she, is approached really differently. 
I didn't really find much many people asking her about like, well, what do you think about the psychology of your character mm-hmm. or whatever? It was, it was interesting to see, see all that commentary with so much time having passed too. Yeah. And that feels like another element that I, I, I kept thinking about in terms of the story that they're telling and who the characters are. It feels like that response is very much class-based, right? And that like what we're watching is we're watching yuppies, right? We're watching upper class, like wealthy people. And there is just this, this desire to believe that someone of that wealth and standing would have more upstanding morals, right? And that he would not be that person. And that there's in like, so we have to understand, like, why would he do this? Not just like, why would a man do this? But why would he, this man who has all these, all this wealth and resources, like, why would he be someone who's violent? Because it's just, it, it escapes people that, that, that like, those things would go hand in hand, right? That like his attempt to control her is part and parcel with that life. Yeah, absolutely. When I watched this, I thought a lot about the song, I'll Be Watching You by the Police. Mm -hmm. And also how growing up, I that song was always kind of framed as like a love song to me. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's really like uh, the ultimate... I mean, it's a catchy tune, you know. It's the ultimate I, I stalker of, anthem. <laughs> it's the ultimate stalker anthem. and But I think so many people saw it as this, like, this, this is love. Mm-hmm. This is, like, this is what it means to really be loved. Like, someone is so into me, they'll be watching me. And there's an element to that in this movie, too, that mm-hmm. I don't know. When did that police song come out? maybe maybe a little before a little before yeah um but there is still that energy of like true love like Mm -hmm. has no boundaries like Mm -hmm. i would go to the ends of the earth i think we see that a little bit too and that i don't know this is taking a swerve but i don't know if you watch the bachelor ever um i've yet to get into the bachelor there's no like need to but (laughs) there is one really uncomfortable season where we see Colton and Cassie and, and it's like reality TV, who knows, but, Mm -hmm. but the way it's really portrayed is like, his love is so great. Like her answer of no, I don't want to be with you is unacceptable. He's like hopping Mm -hmm. fences. He's like, I'll do anything for you. Like, I'm not going to give up on us. I'm not just me. And, and you will eventually like bend. And, and now we know more about that relationship sort of, Mm -hmm. uh, but it, but even then, that's like a recent thing. And, and it was, again, framed in this, like, well, he just loves you this much. Don't yeah. you see this? It's like that amount of love. How could you turn away? And um, But it's like you're, I don't know. I watched the that scene in The Bachelor, like, totally cringing. Same with, like, yeah. um, the police song and same with some of these other things. But I don't, it, it feels like there were some critical misinterpretations of this movie mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's kind of evident in what you brought up with the, with the reviews and the, where the focus was kind of. And it's just such a like masculine trope, right? In that like there's, it's if men 
are like, I refuse to take no for an answer. If men are like, I will pursue you to the end of the earth. I won't allow you to be without me. Like something he, he, he uh, the husband says in this movie yeah. is like, I won't let you live without me. Like all of those things being seen as romantic. If you flip the script, if a woman is just like supposedly so in love that she will pursue this man to the ends of the like now she's crazy right like it's oh, yeah. it, it's like <laughs> you're not supposed to have emotions that run that deep or whatever but like if a man does then every action he takes is justified yeah absolutely absolutely i i don't know i think for me it was like seeing this movie was it was really powerful i thought about like what what is the current version of this and the thing that popped immediately to mind was the uh, limited series Big Little Lies, where yeah. it's sort of yeah. aligned. Like, we're also getting that really elevated wealth. We're getting sort of that same class mm-hmm. situation. And then the element of the domestic violence with Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Kind of in that. And and I don't know. That's the most modern one I could think of. That's um, so, so I'm not sure how that was received. I would imagine differently now. Definitely differently. Like I, it's, it's funny. I didn't even think about that until you mentioned that, but it, it's like, yeah, this is along those same lines. And I felt like, and I think this is, you know, a cultural thing. Like the conversation around it was just so very different around like yeah. what Nicole Kidman's character was experiencing and why she would go back and why she would, why she wouldn't leave this relationship, why she wouldn't give up on it. Like the, there's just been enough, like there's been enough conversation and activism and like cultural movement to be able to reframe these conversations such that we could witness that and we can still just be like, no, she she's being abused in a way that like there's there's no clear out for her. And to to think about the fact that like so many uh domestic violence survivors are going through that and also being like financially controlled, right? Like yeah. especially when we're talking about these levels of wealth, it's like, well, if you leave this relationship what's on the other side of that for you right like they're they're going to that the man is going to fight you in court he's not going to want to pay alimony and all of these things it's it's like so if you just get up and leave what do you have left like that's why all of these narratives involve like some hoarding of funds to be able to, to get away yeah and what's interesting with this movie it's like there's no children involved but Mm. i think in Big Little Lies, there is children yes. involved. And that's actually an aspect to the narrative where it's like the son is now patterning after mm-hmm. the father at school. Yeah. And that's where I'm really fascinated today is more in this idea of how it affects generationally. Yeah. Um, how that energy of violence just doesn't end with just that in a, one interaction. Mm-hmm. It actually infects so much more than that. Yeah. Um, and... And yeah, I I just, I'm curious about that. I'm curious about, yeah, just the aspect of the generational piece um, and how, and how even if you leave, I, I would almost say like, to me, this movie is actually like, we're really only getting the backstory. Like her story is about to start. Mm-hmm. The work is about to start yeah. for her. 
I think there's like this feeling of resolution that we're supposed to feel at the end where it's like, I don't know, I guess this spoils it for the listener. Like, like, yeah, she kills the husband and presumably falls into the arms of this like new boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's kind of how we're set up to see it. And to me, I'm just like, Oh my God, like that's, I don't know. That's not the end. (laughs) It's not. She needs to like, find the self to a therapist like this is only beginning like there's so much that will now infect this new relationship if she doesn't um get the help that she needs and deserves it's like that the energy of what she's experienced doesn't die on its own um it is redemptive like i think there's a a moment Mm -hmm. of redemption in, in in her being able to like overcome the husband in some way but yeah there i think the movie didn't did not really touch on that psychological piece, which I I don't know. Yeah, there was there's much more that this movie could have done. It could have gone over its hour and thirty minute runtime and like <laughs> actually sort of developed some some more of the characters yeah. and things. But I think I just appreciate it coming back to something I said earlier, is that she is the hero of her own story, right? Mm-hmm. Like Yes, the the new guy comes in and when uh, the husband finally tracks her down and is like threatening her and everything, he attempts to be her her savior, but he falls short. And it's it's her. She does everything to be able to save herself, like from the the time of planning to get away and then also and ultimately killing him. And she does it in such a like beautifully cold-blooded way that's just like she's on the phone with 911 she's like send police i just killed an intruder it's just beautiful that (laughs) moment was so good and then she kills him (laughs) i love that i love that yeah there were a lot of small details throughout that i thought were great i mean i think it was criticized in some of the reviews i read but i really loved just that like terror of her seeing like the soup labels turned the way that he liked it yeah yeah um just a call back to that control that goes Mm -hmm. deeper than Mm -hmm. the violence itself like the violence of control and what that looks like i was just thinking about i don't remember if it was in an essay or if it was just a post or a comment made by miriam gerba Mm. the writer where a lot of her work, I think, dwells in in this these topics, and and she was saying like she didn't like the idea of domestic or the term domestic violence to her was domestic terrorism, mm. and I was like, yeah, I think that is a better word for it. There is a there is an element of being terrorized. It's like terrorism seems to encompass more uh, beyond just being slapped around. It's yeah. like it's so much more than that. Um, yeah. It almost always is. Um, and yeah, yeah, I just, I liked that phrasing a lot. Uh, Chelsea, what's one lasting image that sticks with you from sleeping with the enemy? I kind of already mentioned it, but for me, I just immediately think of that image of her swimming in the mm-hmm. pool, surrounded mm-hmm. by the women cheering yeah. for her. Um, that that small image, I think, says multitudes about her character and also about her resiliency and and just the spirit of survival that I thought was really beautiful. Yeah. 
Okay, a couple quick questions and then get you okay. out of here. Uh, <laughs> what's your all-time favorite movie? Oh my god, there's like no worse question than this, and this brings me full circle back to my disclaimer in the beginning. Yes. How I really feel like I, I'm not going to say anything. Uh, I don't know, but I just went with instinct here, and and actually this was a really nice exercise because it, I think it brought me back to movies that were pretty formative for me at a mm-hmm. young age. Um, and why, and, and, and why they're infused with so much love from, for me. And I haven't seen this in years, but I have to say Brokeback Mountain. Oh, nice. It's yeah. been a while since I, I watched I that think, one. I don't know if it's my all-time favorite, but it's the movie that I remember having the most, like, I really couldn't stop crying. Mm-hmm. Like, it hit me in this way. Mm-hmm. I was 18 years old, like, in the movie theater, yeah. walking in. I saw so many movies back then. I feel like we just hung out at the movie theater and would go in and out. It was like I was consuming a lot of Mm -hmm. movies as a teenager and in the theater. And like I had no frame of reference for what it was going to be about. And I, by the end, like I couldn't leave my chair. I remember everyone filing out and I was just like head between my knees sobbing. And I think it was a really, yeah, just a for me. I grew up in such a conservative place, mm-hmm. you know, not exposed to these themes and, and seeing this love story. I don't know. It just felt like it really changed me. Yeah. It changed. It was incredibly emotional experience. So I should rewatch it. I also love the story. Yeah. It's based on a short story by Annie Prue mm-hmm. that I also will cry every time I read that too. So yeah. picked that one. Have you seen it? It's been so long since I've seen it, and I'm like, yeah, let me yeah. rewatch Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> I know it might be time for a rewatch because yeah. I don't know if I ever rewatched it after that. It was like I remember my friends being like, "Are you actually okay?" <laughs> <laughs> it was intense crying. Yeah. Like I don't know. It just yeah. it really it changed me. It's, so I mean, it's a tender yeah. love story. It's, it's yeah. Oh uh-huh. yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay, and what's a perfect summer movie? Okay, again, hearkening back to the teen years when I saw Legally Blonde. Legally Blonde. Theaters. Uh, It's a fun one. It's just fun. And I think it also has a feminist message and Mm -hmm. uh, also was formative at that time in which I saw it, where I think I was probably 15 or something. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she ropes you in with like the fashion and (laughs) the necklace and and the, the. funniness of it but actually the message i think is is pretty important so yeah chelsea thank you so much for joining me thank you so much for having me this was a blast thanks for listening to open forum a podcast from lit hub radio produced by eliza smith and justin alvarez and hosted by me michael denzel smith Feel free to like, comment, subscribe to Open Forum wherever you get your podcast, and or sign up for the LitHub newsletter to stay up to date on our latest episodes. If you're enjoying what you hear, share Open Forum with a friend or on social media. Next week, the day that will live in infamy. <laughs>